Good morning, 21st century disciples. You've probably noticed I'm not Pastor Alex. Pastor's on a well-deserved vacation this week, and uh, we've known each other for years, and I'm here because Pastor Alex invited me to worship. After I retired as a Lutheran pastor, I was free on Sunday morning. I was no longer leading worship. I was able to come and worship, and it's been awesome. Chatham Community Church is awesome, don't you think? And I, I do, and, and it's such a privilege to be here this morning. What an honor it is to be able to share God's word, will, and way with you this morning. I am in total awe of what this church does and has been doing. I got a behind-the-scenes look this past week on how worship is put together, and I got to tell you, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into it, but it shows, up every, it shows up every Sunday and in between, I think. Well, recently I turned 59. More recently I turned 66. <laughs> and I'm about to turn 67. I don't know about you, but I'm planning on dying from natural causes in my sleep, although that's probably a long shot. Of course, most of the apostles of Jesus were never that lucky. With the exception of John, most of them suffered greatly for their faith, and in most cases, they met violent death because of their bold witness for Jesus. Today, during the Signature Moment series, we're going to take a look in the New Testament at the Apostle Thomas. Thomas is famous for one of his signature moments, and it's been haunting him all of his life. We've been calling him Doubting Thomas ever since. But I'd like to prove that wrong today. And in a few minutes, I'd like to tell you about one of my own signature moments, a struggle with faith and doubt, a crisis of faith, I think the term is. But, you know, one of the great things about Christianity is that we have models and examples of who and what we can be. People like Thomas, who teach us a lot about the faith and introduce us to Jesus in ways we might have not even thought of before. See, their signature moments, people like Thomas and all the other apostles and the disciples, the church mothers and fathers who have come before, their signature moments can become ours. So one of the things that Thomas discovered was that doubt, sometimes called the crisis of faith, can recalibrate your faith and send you in the right direction. In fact, in the message, the Psalm 23, it says, it starts that way, God, I don't need a thing. You let me catch my breath and you send me in the right direction. An alternate version of Psalm 23, which I pray every day because I like to know that God can do that. Send me in the right direction. And sometimes doubt and disappointment can recalibrate our faith. We can kind of correct our course. There's something about learning scripture and walking it out with other folks that builds our core, our Christian core, our character. And though we'll, we'll never truly arrive... Scripture molds us and shapes us along the way. Maybe we can even be thankful. We get to a point that we can even be thankful for our doubts 
and our disappointments. I know I have been recently thankful for the way that Jesus has corrected my course and the way that I've been able to lean in a little bit more into the, the love of Jesus, the will of Jesus, the way of Jesus because of the things that have happened in my life. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. The closest thing that we have to a saint in the Lutheran church is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's got a lot of great books out there. But Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor, and he was a seminary teacher who had to teach underground during the era of the Nazis. He was eventually hung two weeks before the, the Allies liberated Germany and the, and the concentration camps. He, he was actually hung for his attempted... Uh, his role in an attempted assassination plot of Hitler, which was a total change of direction for him because he was a pacifist all of his life. But Bonhoeffer wrote something really interesting that I've never forgotten about, and that is we should allow God to interrupt our lives. And isn't doubt, isn't disappointment just that, a life interruption that gets our attention? So let's look first at the context of the Apostle um, Thomas in John's Gospel and just take some snippets from nine chapters of John's Gospel. John is a unique Gospel in that he calls us to a deeper commitment than the other Gospels do. And it's a unique Gospel. It's a little different from what we call the synoptic Gospels. You know how in religion we like to use fancy terms synoptic just means similar really the first three are similar and John is a little bit different it's important to note that apostles are those who knew Jesus personally disciples that's us are God's aspiration as we follow the teaching of the apostles that's where we use the term in the in the uh, Catholic and in the Lutheran Church and some others apostolic church because we follow the teaching of the apostles the folks that knew Jesus personally so first what happens in John is Jesus has been hounded out of Jerusalem to seek the safety in some quiet village just before he raises Lazarus then Thomas also known as Didymus the twin said to the rest of the disciples let us go that we may die with him. Thomas makes this bold statement uh, nine chapters before he asked Jesus to show him the proof. Then at the Last Supper, Jesus is preparing his disciples for departure, and uh, he says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, Thomas says to Jesus rather, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? See, Thomas is practical, and most of us have asked and should ask Jesus, what do you mean? Curiosity, by the way, is nothing more than practicing theology. If you're curious and asking questions about God, you're a theologian. You're practicing theology. So questioning is actually good. So what happens then is a week later, in the same room, after the resurrection of Jesus, this is the passage now that Thomas is famous for. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, 
was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And this is what he says. But Thomas says, he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in the nail where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. You see, Thomas, I think, is on overload. We can relate to that. A lot of things happen in our lives that kind of shift us into this overload gear. Thomas is on overload, and he's wrestling with his faith in Jesus. See, again, we use the term discernment, but it really just means we're wrestling with our faith. Wrestling with your faith is called discernment. When you wrestle with the questions that you have with, with people that you know, other Christians, and when you're in prayer, you're, you're actually practicing discernment. So then another week later, in the upper room, now with the doors barred for fear of prosecution and worse, it says his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, interesting, kind of spooky, but interesting, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he looks, you can see Jesus directly laser-locking Thomas, and he says, Okay, all right. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, we've all had those moments, and you'll have more. But this is what Thomas concludes. Now remember, he was willing to die for Jesus, but he wanted to be really sure. So this is what he says in John 20. My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Here's the thing. Jesus gives us the light to see the light. Wow. And so what happens now in John 20 is Jesus shifts the dynamic and he invokes Thomas to shift. You'll notice that as you read the Gospels. Very often you'll read something pretty direct and simple and then after that there's a nudge. There's an invitation. See, Jesus always follows an invitation with a challenge. And that's good. And we do that with each other in church, in faith community, right? We invite you in, we welcome you, we give you a cup of coffee, we give you some scripture, and then we start to discern what the scripture means, and we say, this is what Jesus is asking us to do, asking us to choose. Who else has the words of eternal life? And this is the interesting part. When Jesus shifts the dynamic, he invokes Thomas to shift, and he says, because you have seen me, you believe. But he's kind of getting ready to say, not everybody's going to be that lucky. Because blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Wow. We had a, we had a, a pretty good turnout Thursday night at the C.S. Lewis Book Club. Enjoyed that immensely. I've been a C.S. Lewis fan all my life, ever since graduate school, where I was introduced to them, him. And, you know, by the way, there's a lot of other summer offerings going on, and it's not too late to join. You can come to the C.S. Lewis Book Club and all the other great stuff out there. This church is full of talent. You've got a lot of great leadership here. I was able to experience that this week with Michelle and, and, and the band. Um, 
these, these opportunities are golden. But it was Lewis that wrote, we're not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. I mean, how could you not know that God's going to do the best for us? We're wondering how painful the best will turn out to be, right? Hey, Jesus, how painful a change are you talking about? Because I'm pretty comfortable with my life. So you might start to see that doubt is a conversation. It's a conversation starter, so to speak. It's breaking the ice. It's asking Jesus and asking each other if it's time maybe to go to another level. You know, two books that will change your life are by Tim and Kathy Keller. God rest Tim's soul. Awesome, awesome speaker, author, preacher, mission developer. The two books are The Songs of Jesus About the Psalms and God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. Two paragraphs and a prayer. You get, you, get, you get submersed in the Proverbs and the Psalms. I was struggling with the Psalms. I found them dry because uh, I'm not a big poetry fan. And then along comes Tim and Kathy, and boom, just opens up my world. T Tim and Kathy point out there's a difference between having doubts and being a mocker. One of the things I learned in Proverbs that Proverbs talks a lot about mockers. Those are the people, it says in Proverbs 29, that set a city on fire, agitating people, stirring up skepticism, stirring up doubt, division, cynicism. So we live in a society of mockers, don't we? I mean, just jump online. I gave up Facebook a couple of years ago because I got tired of that stuff. We live in a society of mockers, and often we're, we're, we're so... We're so mocked out, so overwhelmed by it, we're blinded by it. You know, many mockers are politicians. I'm an independent. Don't, I'm not going to tell you what car I drive, uh, the tires to go home. But, you know, I think politics is a false hope. Humanism always is. So here's, here's my plug. Let's not go left or right. Let's go deep into discipleship, Right? Let's not get distracted by all the noise of the mockers. So <clears throat> when, when Jesus returns to see Thomas, he already knows his doubts. I love what Lewis wrote, that God sees your life as one moment in time. Isn't that comforting? Your whole life, God sees it as one single moment. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I can breathe deep knowing that. Jesus already knows Thomas's doubts. And, you know, his doubt is very different from, I had the scripture, but I, I cut it out for time. But, you know, there's, a, there's in the end there that scripture where people are mocking Jesus on the cross. Well, you saved others, save yourself. That's mocking. That's very different from doubt. Doubt is actually mentioned in the Bible 74 times. Scripture tells us, the other apostles also had their doubts. In Matthew 28, we read the disciples, then the 11. Notice how they're always giving us the numbers. They go to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You know, if you've come here this morning with, with wrestling with some doubts and questions, maybe you're feeling a crisis of faith, 
you're in the right place. Welcome. Welcome to the club, people. Right? Let's just be honest about it. If the disciples could do that, we can too. Doubt gets confused with simple questioning. Questioning is just curiosity. Curiosity is intelligence. And in this case, it's spiritual intelligence. Beekner, who you probably know, wrote that if you don't have doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Well, okay, sometimes we're asleep. Doubts, he says, are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep us alive and moving. And if it's a fire ant, forget it. Jump the shower fast. See, curiosity about God is theology. God bless Don Luck, my theology prof in seminary. That's how he put it. Theology is thinking. If you think, you'll have questions, just as Thomas and the others did. Doubt builds our faith. Like what Keller says, a virus builds our immune system. And Jesus, listen, Jesus will always make us choose, and Jesus will always keep us moving. You know how sometimes life comes at you faster than you want it to? Sometimes that happens in Christianity. I was in my hometown, Cleveland. I've heard all the Cleveland jokes. That's okay. I've heard all the short jokes, too, so don't bother on that one. I was in Cleveland, and Nicole picked me up late on Thursday night, and I knew I had the book, I mean, Wednesday night, and I knew I had the book club on Thursday. We got cats. We got a dog. We got all sorts of stuff going on. She works at home, but sometimes we got to go in. Saturday, this. I told her, I said, the next three days are going to go really fast, especially if... I'm not only coming to worship, I'm preaching. So believe me, I'm going to be pretty preoccupied the next couple of days. 80% of life is showing up, and although Thomas wasn't sure, he showed up. More than that, Thomas never gave up. We're here today because people like Thomas staked their lives on believing Jesus. Blaise Pascal wrote this, I believe in witnesses who get their throats cut. Tradition tells us that while Thomas was establishing a church as far away as India, he was stabbed with a spear and died from the wound. Isn't it ironic that Thomas would die from the same wound that Jesus showed him? The resurrection is a very big claim. I wonder how many of the other 500 witnesses to the resurrection were violently killed. See, a lot of people prefer kind of a generic God. You know, grandpa in the sky, loves all his grandchildren, got this long white beard. And, and what happens is we, we know who God is because we've seen him as Jesus. Sometimes we just kind of dismiss him as, as the generic God, some floating on a cloud or some will say he's a great moral teacher. But for us disciples, and that is scary, being the 21st century disciples, I get that. Jesus is much more than that. He is Savior. See, we literally put our lives in his hands. I don't know if some of you know David Brooks. David Brooks is one of my favorite authors, speakers, and thinkers. He wrote a great book called The Road to Character. I recommend it as I do the Keller books. You know, if you listen to Brooks, and I do, 
and he's on NPR every uh, Friday doing commentary, or you can read his columns. Uh, I think he's New York Times. Brooks, um, he's, a, he's a guy of pretty good character. You can tell by what he writes and how he speaks and what he says, how even-tempered he is, how he always gives others the benefit of the doubt, even those that, that disagree with him. He said character is a settled disposition to do good. You know, John Adams used to tell the kids every day, you know, be good, be good, do good. Look at what they did for this country. Moral goodness requires that we escape the pattern of pleasure-seeking, tough to do in this culture, because we're kind of driven to that comfort, pleasure, and putting your feet back and just enjoying the ride, where Jesus comes along and says, I need you to shift, I need you to move, and I need you to move in this direction escape the pattern of pleasure-seeking and resolve to follow our callings while also identifying the core of our sins, that's called confession, so that they may be conquered. Character, writes Brooks, is a form of unshakable commitment. This includes living loyally and in, in alignment with your purposes. Not only talking the talk, but walking the walk, right? We say it in Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit with me, in me, a right spirit right spirit. Paul says in Romans, an endurance develops strength of character, and character um, our confident hope for salvation. Character is always at the core of who we are. Building our spiritual core is essential to keeping our Christianity. See, there's an uncompromising honesty about Thomas. He's never going to still his doubts and pretending they don't exist. He wanted to go the extra mile for Jesus, and I don't know how far away India is, but he went a lot of extra miles in the end for Jesus. And he was clear the whole way. Let's just call him all in, Thomas. Sometimes Jesus will say, let those who have ears listen, as in Mark 4. And um, he's really saying, open the eyes of your heart. Turn your heart to heaven. Uh, Anne Lamont is a, a writer, an author, and a recovering Christian alcoholic. See, you can be recovering and Christian and an alcoholic. All of those things would apply to Anne, and she writes freely about it. <laughs> and she writes something I, I just love. The difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. <laughs> How many times we think we're God, right? Hey, God, let me tell you what to do. Let me tell you how it's going to work. Sometimes my prayer is scripting, is a, here's a to-do list for you, Jesus. Um, <clears throat> we have to keep looking for the spiritual question if we want spiritual answers, wrote Henry Nouwen, one of my favorite Catholics who is now deceased. Look at things from above, not below, Jesus reminds us. I wonder if looking at the wound of, of, of uh, Thomas, Jesus saw the light of eternity. He saw something, right? It's through our wounds that the the light of God shines. So also, uh, Nowen taught me this in one of his books, that obedience means to be all ear in Latin, and the root of absurd in Latin means to be deaf. Uh, suffering, and I would add doubt, are a gift, writes Brooks. It provides us with a more accurate view of reality by identifying things that harm us. And in church, we come together and we get an opportunity to doubt together. First Thessalonians, one of my faves, 
encourage one another, and build one another up. See, I try to practice that wherever I go, whether it's the cashier at Walmart, which I dread, not her, but the, the Walmart itself. Um, you know, just a word of encouragement, I, I try especially to do that with younger folks. Because you know, you know what kind of uh, culture and society they're in now. We come together in faith community where we can be honest, and this is my plea to you, and it was Nowen's plea, and it was Jesus' plea, that we come together to be honest and vulnerable about our doubts. That's hard as pastors. Um, it's hard for us to be vulnerable because of the expectations that people lay on us. But a place where we can deeply confess where we're blowing it and celebrating where we're making it. Just a side note there, too. You know, our pastors, and God bless them, Pastor Dave, Pastor Jaime, Pastor Alex, um, they're gar the guardians of God's word. And we as a faith community are a welcoming place for all people, including those with doubts, and for them. See, among his many gifts, Pastor Alex has the confidence and strength to believe in you without any pretension, even with all of your faults and struggles. I think that's what he means when he signs off my friend or he opens an email with my friend. He accepts you just the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. Remember that few of us will ever know the spiritual burdens that our pastors carry. Always encourage and pray for them. When you disagree with your brother or sister, and especially your pastor, pray even ever harder for them. Because you know what? I've been doing this a while, and I know the gospel often is going to rub us the wrong way. I told uh, Jeff this morning, sometimes I think I'd rather be a Buddhist. And, you know, speak, there are spiritual coaches. Some of you know my spiritual coach, Jim Abrahamson. He, he and I spend hours together. Our lunches are at least three hours. And he's never afraid to take me out to the woodshed. <laughs> and that's why I don't show Jim my sermons, because, uh-uh. But, you know, you remember when you, you were in Little League? Now it's soccer. When I played soccer, we didn't get a letter. We had to play at the elementary school. We couldn't even use the high school's uh, field. In the coach, especially like in softball or baseball, when the foul ball hits you in the shin, he'd say, walk it off. Yeah, easy for you to say. I think I just lost my leg. But Paul has a different way in Philippians, and I love this. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Reverent, something this culture has a, a problem doing. And sensitive before God. That's that spiritual sensitivity. That energy is God's energy, an energy deep within you. God himself willing and working, God working through you at what will give him the most pleasure. Well, why wouldn't we want to please God? There's a theological question for you. Repentance means, repentance means changing direction. And that process, of course, can be painful. So, Let's hold hands and stick together. When we cross the street, when we go out into traffic, you know, and if you're having trouble walking in faith, thank Jesus that you are leaning ever more on him and his people. I, you know, I haven't been here that long, maybe first of the year, and I have leaned on you all a lot, and I am so grateful. No one will ever give you more benefit of the doubt than Jesus. 
There is no bigger benefit of the doubt than dying for the lost and broken people of this world. And I tell you, folks, I'm very aware of that. I'm lost and broken much of the time. Lewis says that Jesus offers us everything for nothing. You know, Romans, Paul says a lot of things. And sometimes people use Romans against each other, and that's, that's not the intent. But he says, you know, God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners. In the message, you know, it says we can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. But how, how do we understand someone dying um, selflessly and sacrificially for lousy people? He puts it this way in the message. It's a version of, of, the, of the Bible that I love to use, especially when I teach. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatsoever. Wow. So I'd like to close uh, with one of my signature moments in my life, uh, very close to me for a lot of reasons uh, that I will be walking out the rest of my life like the foul ball that smacked me in the chin. About four months ago, a doctor announced to me that I had a lesion on my pancreas. Now, I got to tell you, this doctor is no slouch. She's one of the best. I have a condition called CLL, and it sounds crazier than it is, and we'll talk about it later. But I go every six months to Duke, and they do all sorts of blood work. And she came in, and her seriousness in announcing this lesion to me um, gave her concern away. So. I, I was shocked, and, and I slowly but surely felt broken. And I think Nicole, my wife, saw me as vulnerable as she's ever seen me. And that's one of the great things about Christian marriage. You can be so vulnerable and honest with each other, and you can lean on each other. And that is such a gift, right? Um, I knew as a pastor what pan pancreatic tumors, lesions, cancers. I knew what they could do. So I was referred to an oncologist, a, a top gun surgeon at Duke. And those were the two longest weeks of my life, <laughs> waiting to see those guys. So what I did in the meantime is I reached out to the champions of faith in my life, the high voltage Christians who know Jesus, who know God's word and are mature about prayer. That's one of the things you're lucky being here for is because we have you have a lot of mature Christians that included Pastor Alex and the prayer team here at church Michael Carolyn Valinda and others and now I was Thomas searching for Jesus with an aching heart and a broken spirit now I wanted to see his wounds I was praying in my typical inadequate way you would think after all these years I'd be better at praying but that's okay but it was as if to say, Jesus, hey, I'm mortally wounded here. Oh, how long? What's going to happen? And I longed to see you up close and personal. I prayed hard. I fasted. I cried. It turns out, despite what I was told as a kid, big boys do cry. I pictured myself when I prayed, wrapping my arms around the ankles of Jesus, and I begged for my life. 
Some of my prayer was simply without words. I had no words. But my longing for Jesus simply became this mantra to him. Because you see, sometimes our prayer gets unfocused. and We've got to remember who we're praying to. So for me, it kind of rolled into these three things. I love you. I trust you. I believe you. Jesus gives us the light to see the light. Jesus gives us the eyes of our heart to see him. But oh no, that didn't stop me from obsessing about it. <laughs> so one day in the aisle of BJ's Wholesale Club in Cary, thinking of avocados, because Nicole said pick up avocados. We're trying to eat better. And quite suddenly and, cl and clearly, I was startled to hear Jesus say, Terry, let me heal you. Surely I'm talking to myself, I'm thinking. But less than a minute later, I heard Jesus say very clearly, child, allow me to heal you. Now, it's as if Jesus was saying, I'm not deaf. I've heard you, and I've heard all the people praying for you. Now let me be Lord. Let me do what I do. Let me be as Thomas said, the guy that you look at and say, my Lord and my God. Like Thomas, it was time for me to be all in. After more than 33 years in ministry, more than, I figure, round figures, 1,200 sermons about Jesus, it was time for Pastor Terry to see the resurrected one up close and personal. A few weeks and after a, an MRI, the PA at the Top Gun Surgeon's office was quite cheery, which surprised me. And she explained what the doctor explained. He came in 45 minutes later because he got called down to surgery, which is exactly the surgeon you want. The guy they call and they say, you better get down here and fix this because we can't. And this is at Duke. And they're all pretty good up there. He concurred with her that was what at first was thought to be a lesion was a common cyst. No rush, no worries, come back in six months and we'll, we'll check to be sure, but we don't think this is anything. But here's the rub. What one doctor, Top Gun CLL doc, was so concerned about, another wasn't. And so what happened in those two weeks? Well, I'll tell you. I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I can say that something ominous had apparently turned into something trite in two weeks of prayer and the laying on of hands just down the hall with Valinda and Alex. So you see, for me in my house, like Thomas, I choose to believe that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. Like Thomas and perhaps like you, it was time to shift. It was time to change direction. Just as for Thomas, doubt had been a recalibration of my faith, a crisis of faith can become an opportunity for Jesus God is an opportunist. He can use everything, and he sees everything, and he sees it as now. In the words of Thomas, I had to look at Jesus and say, my Lord, my God, my Lord, my God. So it was Anne Lamont, who I mentioned 
she said the two most genuine prayers are help me and thank you. Now, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't want anyone here today to go home disappointed in any prayer or cry for mercy that you are in the midst of because I believe God hears you with all the love that a father can muster. He invites you, just as he has me, to see and touch his wound. So take the hand of somebody while I say this, because I'm going to say it with all the love of Jesus that I can muster. He loves you. He hears you. You are precious in his sight. And I guarantee you that God is healing you in his own way and in his own time in the eternity that only he can create. God sees everything as now. Love him. Trust him and believe him. Someone wrote that when you have pursued God in repentant helplessness, you have really worshipped. So be God's Thomas in that pursuit. You've been very kind and gracious to me this morning, so here are today's takeaways. I affectionately call them today's takeouts. All in can happen just after you're almost all out. You know, he might not give you exactly what you want, but he will give you the peace to do it. Character counts, yours and mine. God breathes righteousness. Hang around where God is breathing. Jesus can always work with honesty. John said it. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It might be a painful process, but it'll happen. Trust him. Often God is in the corner of our doubts. Let's go ahead and share the dark corner of our doubts with each other and have patience doing it. Jesus is sometimes hidden in the impossible. But after all, he is the God of every good and po perfect possibility. Doubt is the pathway to a stronger faith. Crisis is an opportunity to be stronger in your faith. No one will ever give you more benefit of the doubt than Jesus. Just ask Thomas. Jesus died for our doubts. So if you're struggling with that health issue, that marriage, that child, the one you lost far too soon, that grudge or that wound, Jesus is inviting you to reach out, put your hand in his wound, to believe, love, and trust him. Amen? So let's close with prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. We see you. We hear you. We believe you. We trust you. You are our everything, our all in all. And... Take us deeper into that, Jesus, because you, Lord God, my Lord and my God, our Lord and God, only you have the words of eternal life. And that is so life-giving now and forever. And we're so thankful. We love each other. We love you. And we say, amen.